can you put your hands in the air and just kind of wave them like you don't care and make a really goofy smile and just kind of dance for a second and say that intro (laughs) one more time? Sure. For most of my life, Betsy, I I told people, tall, skinny, white guy with blonde hair. What got my way were stereotypes. What you think you want is not really what works for you. Right, so how do we get past that? Beard and mustache. I like that. That's a good feeling. Hey, hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Season 2, Episode 2, Attraction. I'm Dr. B. And Mandy Johnson. And you're listening to It's Not Human Sexuality. What I really want to lead off with is, you know... Beauty, Beauty is in the, the eye of the beholder. Jigsaw me a coke. Okay, so, and there's there's so much truth in that, right? But wh- why is that? Is there's some science about it? Is there is there, are there influences about that? I mean, but there's truth to that, right? Absolutely, truth to that. Everybody's got their own little flavor. That's right, and that's a good thing. And so, one of those things that were that's involved in that are things like sexual attitudes, and then this thing we call the social scripting theory. Right. Yep. Including the cultural contexts. Yep. And interpersonal script and intrapersonal script. And so let's circle back and start with sexual attitudes. So what, when I say sexual attitudes, what do you think about? I think about the what you think of attraction and what kind of what gets you going or what is interesting to you, what you find Oh, yeah, I know. It's going to be hard <laughs> not to say that word a lot, right? Yeah, so, but I mean, that's true, right? The sexual attitude is your attitude about about what you like and what turns you on and what you want to maybe you want to get closer to. And that's that's an important thing. And then so what plays into that is a social scripting theory. And in, and in that, the social scripting theory has those three components. The first one is the cultural context. Absolutely. Starts from the small culture of your family to the bigger culture of maybe your school or neighborhood goes into the state you live in maybe or even the city and the the country you live in and the attitudes of the country and then the whole world exactly and so in that regard in the concept of if we looked nationally the cultural context of that sexual attitude would be what a little bit of homophobia well, yes. And so <laughs> the flip side of that it would be heterosexual bias, right? Absolutely. Meaning that the only thing that we're going to give latitude to is opposite sex attraction. We know that's not true. We know that doesn't exist. And we, we've talked about that. And we will talk about it more. But ultimately, what we're looking at is in this cultural context, basically, hopefully people can develop their own open-mindedness about what their needs are and what have to be met. And in doing that, one of those things is the interpersonal script. So interpersonal, it means between, right? Like interstates go between highways that go between states. So interpersonal is this communication. Between two people. Right, exactly. And so what triggers that? How do we get to that point of having an interpersonal relationship? It has to start with attraction. Absolutely. Okay, so in that concept of attraction, we are going to say, I prefer men or I prefer women or I don't, you know, I, yeah, it generally matter. starts with those biological factors right. one way or the other. Right. Man, right. woman, male, female, or, and then people always put on their, 
oh, and I want him to be tall or I want him to be short and I want this person to have this color hair or this color eyes. And I want to, you know, have it be exciting or I don't want it to be exciting or I, I'm an introvert and introvert would be great. But, you know, that kind of leads me to the question, how do introverts meet? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of an interesting concept. On the Internet. <laughs> But then they have to go out and like, you know, yeah, me. It's it, right. It Think is. About yeah. that. I just I actually just thought about that right now. Just, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. so when we think about that, we have to figure out what works for us and what doesn't. And it, it's an interesting thing, because for most of my life, Betsy, I, I told people tall, skinny, white guy with blonde hair, long blonde hair, specifically tall, skinny, white guy, long hair. That was my thing. Beard and mustache. Huh. But that's not anything like what I, the man I married, right? And he's tall. Yeah. He's He's got the beard. He's not blonde. He doesn't have long hair. None of those things. But, but sometimes, you know, what you think you want is not really what works for you. Exactly. Um, You know, what, what we decide and the filters that we put on uh, a lot of times just really don't, don't help us. They, they, they definitely limit our possibilities, but they also, uh, well, in that limitation, they close us off to, to other possibilities that might be better for us. Right. You gravitate to that shirt or that or that dress or whatever, pants and outfit, and you go, man, it looks great on the rack. And you, and you try it on every time and you go, doesn't fit, doesn't look good, but I really want this. And sometimes you might even buy it. Right. And then it sits in your closet and never gets worn. No, because you try it on, you go, doesn't fit. And some people actually do that with their code of attractiveness. Like they really want this to work for them, but then it doesn't. And it's always, it's always left them disappointed, right? Right. Or heartbroken or settling or pick a, pick a reason. And so that part of that interpersonal script or that interpersonal interaction that you think you're attracted to can lie to you. Yes, I think it lies to a lot of people. Right. So how do we get past that? Well, we have to get to know ourselves and we have to figure out what really, really actually works for us, which is where we come to the intrapersonal piece of this. Intra meaning within what resonates, what turns you on, what makes you feel good. You know, what what do you go back for, you know, a second time to run through your brain to say that I like that. That's a good feeling. And I, th- I think even that can be confusing because as we were talking about last time with with um, infatuation, it, there's a lot of I can remember again, a lot of times when the feelings inside of me said, yeah, the long haired boy, give me that long haired boy over there, that tall skinny one, just like I said, I like. And all the feelings inside me said, that's what I like. But then getting in relationships with them and trying to go the distance that didn't work and that that's when i had to realize oh something inside me deeper than that is what i need to find and fulfill and i think that can be confusing for a lot of people too because sometimes those when you check in those feelings what you're checking in with is the infatuation feelings not the the deeper down what's really going to work for you in a in a real relationship feelings so you mentioned infatuation right and that and really what that means is that you see something from afar or maybe even sitting next to you in 
your class or whatever, and you know nothing about this person, and you and really you're just drawn to them by how they look, or maybe how they hold themselves, or even maybe how they walk across the room, but you don't really know anything about them, and that's the infatuation piece, right? So there's really no deep level of understanding of what this person is, but you find yourself fantasizing about what it would be like to be in a relationship with that person, and you can you know go down this entire path of. Making stuff up in your head about who they are. Exactly. And then, of course, you might, all the stars might align and you might meet this person and you, they say hello and, and you are just completely disappointed. Like, wow, I spent time out of my life, you know, imagining a relationship with this person. And that's infatuation. Now, sometimes infatuation can take you to the next level and it all, and things are good. But then, Maybe the parameters that you put on this attractiveness based on the infatuation piece initially wear thin, you know, because it, it isn't it isn't substantial like what you were saying. You you dated that you liked that, but it just wasn't it just didn't have the lasting power. It didn't tick all the long term boxes. Right. And so some of that does come with time or age or mistakes. And then some people just never learn it, you know, and they just keep trying to put that round peg in the square hole and are constantly disappointed. And I think some people learn it really early or find what they're what they really want and need pretty young. Right. Um I don't I don't think that you know, I, I don't know. I, I it took me a long time. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> sure, I understand. I it um I don't I'm trying to think of how long it took me. I think what got in my way were stereotypes of what I thought people were based on what they did. And so therefore I would say, oh, I had a bad experience with somebody who maybe was studying that in college and therefore I don't want to date anybody who's studying that topic, you know, whatever that topic was. And that's a, that's stereotyping people, right? That's profiling them, putting them in. And so the concept of attraction then becomes sort of this mathematical equation of I'm going to eliminate people without even knowing them. So it's sort of the opposite of infatuation, right? right. I don't know them, but I'm, I'm definitely going to eliminate them. And so now I've stereotyped them. And then, of course, so the opposite of infatuation with we look at stereotyping is it makes your world really, really small. Yeah. Right. So I never, ever would have dated my now husband because of the stereotype that I had put him into. I said I would never date this type of student. And then I did, and you know, and here we are 35 years later. But imagine that, right? So if you allow stereotypes to make decisions for you, it's just as bad as infatuation. Only on the other on the other end, you would never experience that. Right, right. Put on too many filters and then you limit your world. Right. So wow. So let's think about that. So you have the cultural context, which is going to sway how you think or feel and what you think, think is right or the kind of relationships you should have or could have or, or what you've been told and you know stay in your lane kind of thing within your culture whatever that is it can be faith-based it can be um heritage-based it can be neighborhood-based i mean it's the stay in your lane thing right yep. and so that can be really limiting but what happens when you're not attracted to what's in your lane just because of the cultural context that we're in some people can get into trouble when they don't stay in their lane, but I do believe it's a good thing for most people to to experience more than what they think that they want. I agree. You know, right. I, and I think that's true with a lot of things in life, not just mates and people that we want to spend our life with or, or date. But but in general, I think it's good to get outside that box. I know. Do you know that when I was growing up, 
you know, I grew up in the 60s and interracial relationships, let alone marriage, were illegal. It's not that they were frowned upon or someone could get in trouble because that happened too. They were illegal. Right. Right. And so we look about, we look back and say, well, like you said, you can get into trouble if you don't stay in your lane. So as a society, cultural context of that, we look back and go, wow, that was so crazy that you couldn't have interracial marriages. Right. And then we clip along and then we deny marriage equality for decades. And then now we've, you know, that's come around. And so we say, okay, we're acknowledging all forms of attractiveness and love is love, right? And, and now, so we look back and we say, wow, that was dumb. You know, what do we do that? So then we, but if we still boil it down, it comes down to attractiveness, your sexual attitude and attractiveness. And then we have a lot of, medial influences that affect that. One of the things that I like to look at and that I find so interesting is this concept of symmetry. Scientists and people, and when they study this, they say people like symmetry. They like to look at somebody's face or body or the whole picture and they want to see balance. You know, Equal proportions. Equal proportions. They don't want to see one eye lower than the other or the nose a little bit crooked or maybe a, a one dimple but not two. Uh, one ear higher than the other. That's called symmetry. And yet one of the things that, at least in this country, we look at are runway models, right? Or people or magazine, the modeling industry in general. And when you, when you take away their makeup and their hair and their, their, you know, their hair's done and their clothes, they're not, they're not perfectly symmetric. They're not symmetric. They're not, but the camera loves that. Right. And and they're what we call editorial. And so they're intriguing. And then that's sort of our brain going, well, that doesn't make sense. If I want to see symmetry and then society is showing me non-symmetry. Right. Asymmetry better than non-symmetry. <laughs> yeah. And so that really plays with the whole concept of is symmetry really important? I, I, and I, I, I would say that personally, I believe that to some extent it might be in the way that we don't want to see something. We, we're most people are not going to be attracted to somebody whose whose eyes are, you know, real far off. I don't want to say wonky, but wonky is the only word I can come up with right now. Um, but nobody's perfectly symmetric. Right. I mean, it's just not something that nature does very well, especially with humans. Um, you know, a lot of us have one leg that's longer than the other. Mm-hmm. Most women have one breast that's larger than the other. I mean, we're we're not symmetric. And so... I think that there's an element of symmetry that we like, but I don't think to the, you know, that like you were saying, I don't think that that's the be all end all by any means. And I think that we do because of our culture, like things just a little off. I think so. And we like the interesting features. Sure. The intrigue. And and then you add to that, we might even use the word exotic, right. Or different looking. And so um, there, there's that point, which leads us to the next concept that I think people have never heard about, or maybe they have, and that's called the halo effect. People who um, are more attractive, then therefore would have more attractive traits, right? So let's just, for the sake of argument, say we know what attractive is, because we really don't know what attractive is. No, because it's in the song. eye of the beholder. Exactly. So <laughs> we just circled completely back to the beginning. But the point is, is that they said, well, attractive people have more attractive traits. They're smarter. They're wealthier. 
they, they probably have better jobs. Yeah, they they hold themselves better. They um, are the life of the party. They might be more sexually explorative. Um, those those sort of things. And so you have to say, well, so how do we know that if beauty is in the eye of the beholder, then this concept of halo effect doesn't work. Doesn't right? work at all. But one of the other things that the halo effect will will roll into with respect to attractiveness or giving somebody, judging a book by its cover, is with people and jobs, right? Yeah. And and so, like for instance, in the military, let's say you know you have all you have your enlisted men, but maybe there's one that stands out, and maybe by standards, you know, they might say, "Hey, here's this fella who is attractive, and therefore he looks like he should be a leader, right? He should, so therefore he might be given more opportunity to become a supervisor or a team leader when really." That's not their goal. They don't. They didn't want to do that. They were singled out just by how they by looked. How they look. Yeah. Right. And and I so, think promotions happen that way, and people get hired that way. And sure, maybe they're not suited for the job at all, but they but they look good to the person that was doing the hiring. One question on the halo effect. So okay. it's the concept is basically the the world picking more attractive people to do certain things because they just look like they're good for the job. Yeah, I mean the halo effect affects all levels and all ages and all in all niches of life. I mean, we use the halo effect with children. So if you have a a kid who's tall for their age, they often will be given more responsibility in the classroom because the instructor they or look teacher because well, they'll look older, therefore they're capable of doing more things when really they're probably still just a 5-year-old, right? And so that can really mess with somebody's development because they've been given responsibility just based on how they look, not based on ability or desire or how they speak out, but just how they look. And so in some regards, that can lead to um, a feeling of like they always may have the imposter syndrome, whereas they grow up, people have just always moved them along when they're inside, they're going, I'm not qualified for this. Exactly. And so that's that's that halo effect. And and so you can take it to that level from children all the way to adults. You can take it into the concept of what society sees as, you know, sexual prowess or or excitement and all the way into, you know, being promoted in the military. So it's a really interesting concept of the halo effect. And it in it really permeate permeates about everything and it really can cloud judgment because we're not being objective at that point because it's based on what we see and what we determine to be attractive and positive traits and that's the halo effect great so can the halo effect be happen just between two people because that it sounds kind of like it's a larger scenario like society views this person as this way but does will it happen between two people? oh you bet yeah. and I, I think that's part of where like what we're talking about with infatuation too is when when you see somebody who you think is hot and then you attribute all these other great things to them okay and you start getting infatuated with this idea of of them and none of that's real right you think it is because of this halo effect or you can have the two most beautiful people on the planet meet and fall in love because that they see them in their partner. And I don't mean that in, in an egocentric way, but it's just a function of 
we do what we know, right? And what we feel comfortable with. And a lot of times the example that's used for that are uh, Tom Brady and Giselle and David Beckham and Victoria Beckham. You know, people say, well, they're just the beautiful couple. And you have to say, well, how did they hook up? Well, maybe they saw each other in each other. And that was the attraction. And that's part of how that halo effect plays out. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're more interesting or more powerful or brighter, you know, than, than had they met up with somebody else. And so I think the halo effect is really a horrible place or a horrible thing to say, this is fact or this is how it works, because it isn't always, right? It's, it just isn't. It, you cannot judge a book by its cover. Although a lot of people do. Sure. Yeah. But it know. shouldn't be the way it is. Exactly. And I think that that's unfortunate. And that's probably why when we're looking to get into relationships and we're talking about season two and all of these components that play in, if we're going to talk about attractiveness, there's really no concrete way to identify it or define it or validate it. To me, it's inherent and it's, and it's sort of like you'll know it when you see it. You know it when you know it and you know it when you feel it. And that is how you lead an authentic life. And my mom used to tell me, I said, Mom, what if I never find somebody? And she goes, oh, you will, you will. And I was, I was serious. And I, I stopped her. We were walking in the grocery store. And I turned to her and I said, but what if I don't? Like, what if I don't? And she looked me square in the eye and she said, wouldn't it be worth settling for second best? And I think that's what we're talking about, leading an authentic life and being true to yourself and what your needs are. So in circling back, the main components that we were talking about is referred to as a social scripting theory, cultural context, interpersonal script, intrapersonal script. And those three components are really part of what play into attraction. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up episode two, season two on attraction. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. B. And I'm Mandy Johnson. And if you want more information or you just want to run some questions by us, you can email us at info at lkbthwis.org. That's info at lookbothways.org. Next time on It's Not Human Sexuality. You walk into the room and they have pictures everywhere. I mean, it looks like a crime scene, right? Unrequited love and jealousy. He got stuck in the friend zone because he never... Jeff and I are on the edge of our seat. (laughs) The worst thing they can do is say no and you're stuck in the same place you always were. Obsession. The best part. I know we're in love. I I got the heart emoji this morning. Because if you're so convinced they're going to cheat on you, then why are you there? If they're jealous, then then that means they love me. It's Not Human Sexuality is created in support of the Colorado-based nonprofit Look Both Ways, whose mission is to improve the lives of youth by imparting the knowledge and skills necessary to make informed decisions about their reproductive health. All content is created by reproductive biologist Dr. Betsy Cairo and human sexuality education teacher Mandy Johnson. We record at Redstone Sound in Loveland, Colorado with Chief Engineer Jeff Ratterman. I'm Hannah Copeland, this podcast producer.